Hello and welcome to PostCloud, the kind of podcast where we're going to be talking around the evolving world of cloud technologies. My name is Chris Krantz, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Stephen. Hi, I'm Stephen Howell. Today, we're having a bit of a chat about the transition in IT infrastructure. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion around DevOps, what it actually means that we have DevOps unicorns sitting around the place looking for jobs. We're going to move into digital transformation, talking about what it is, why it seems to always be going on, and why we can't just brush our teeth, and also why so many digital transformation projects just apparently fail. So strap in, get yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. We've talked about how the old release process used to work. You threw it over the wall, and when you were done with your stage, it was thrown over the wall again. And finally, the, the last team whose lap it landed on were the operations team. Yep. And if it, they were lucky, then it came with some instructions. Uh, typically, they'd be going back and shouting at developers or QA. And uh, you, you could draw this thing out to last years if you wanted it to, right? But with DevOps, all of a sudden, this supposed unicorn character both knows how to code, operate the infrastructure, and test it, uh, and does everything, and, and magically writes their own test cases while they're coding, automates the uh, running of tests and the dropping of releases, and automatically promotes those releases onto the production infrastructure as well. So has that actually arrived? Because it feels like it's a unicorn still. Sometimes you have this view that, okay, as a DevOps engineer, you've got this singular entity, this singular person who is the unicorn that does all those things. They can go and rack a network switch and configure, and they can install Linux, they can deploy their application, they can install a database, and they can be on the call for it, and they can do all these different things all in one individual person. The reality is that DevOps is a cultural shift. You take all those different people, all those different phases of those different stages, and you put them together. It is a proper cross-functional team. You have a network engineer, you have a security engineer, you have a test person, you have someone building test harnesses, you have someone developing, you have someone in infrastructure, and it ends up being big teams. But that's the only way you can do it. You have to have those cross-functional teams. And I think it's something that so many people get half right. So it's kind of like, we've got our DevOps team, we've got someone from infrastructure, and we've got a developer, and we've got someone from networking. That is our DevOps team. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got product manager as well. And then they forget about operations, they forget about security, they forget about the test team. I've been doing cybersecurity and cloud security for the past couple of years, but it's one of the reasons we've seen the emergence of DevSecOps as a brand. Like, you've got DevOps, but we need to have security in there as well. Security should have always been in there. But yeah. because it's not, we need to create this subcategory, DevSecOps, DevPerfOps, DevInfraOps, whatever it is, to cover the gaps we created by not doing DevOps properly to begin with. Absolutely. It felt like these disciplines of DevSecOps particularly only exist because people fundamentally misunderstood the point of DevOps. And in fact, DevOps itself really only exists because the business fundamentally fought against the provision of good quality services by structuring people in weird departments and siloing them. I think it's Conway's law, which says that you are doomed to write software that follows the structure of your business departments. This means you've got individual teams writing functions and classes. You can see how the work has been delegated to different teams. And that's what your software looks like, a bunch of different teams. I don't know if I could blame any individuals for this. I think this is a business challenge and the business helped to to support these silos and the isolations between the teams 
which means that if you've got a DevOps initiative, you're not able to actually get hold of the storage team or the security team or the testing team. Because they've been divided for so long and they've been separated for so long, we don't often get the opportunity to properly bring them all together and bring all those expertise together. The annoying part is that so often in business, I've seen organizations that were clearly driven by a need to make the org chart look neat instead of a need to actually deliver results. And when you talk to senior management, they talk about how they structured departments and they introduced a new department to focus on a new initiative. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. If you want to focus on a new initiative, you need to encourage the existing departments to take part in it. So you don't create a security team who is instantly everyone's enemy and outside of all of the other teams. But you talk to existing teams and you encourage them to learn and practice security. So you've got these kind of guys at the top who think that because they've created this ambassador or figurehead and they've given them some people, that all of a sudden the problem is solved and they're going to go and tiger team it and they're going to charge around the business. Whereas what you've done is you've created a new group for everyone to hate and you've put them at odds with all of the other teams, interrupting the other team's work with different orthogonal incentives. So they're now slowing down the teams and making it harder for the other teams to deliver. Instead of saying that for the other teams to deliver, their priority is now security. And they've got an agenda that says they need to go and learn about security. And they now have metrics that they need to complete that are security related. And when they complete a feature, security is a feature up there with everything else they're delivering. So if you want to deliver a new section of your site, then that has to include a security feature, just implicitly. And and then trying to make security a checkbox that you get done before release instead of something that comes in as a feature early in the development cycle means that all you do is you work like you used to and leave yourself no time before release. And then you delay the release and you blame it on security problems. And I've seen it time and time again, because you're not actually understanding the importance of security and factoring it into the workflow. I think we're back to the organizational problem where you can't just treat security or performance as separate teams. We've seen over the last 20 years, the rise of the CISO, uh, the rise of the CTO, the CIO, even the CDO, Chief Data Officer. And within that, you have different reporting structure underneath that. So the infrastructure team is no longer under the same governance structure as the security team, who are no longer in the same governance and leadership structure as the developer and the product owners. It is a kind of fundamental organizational challenge. And it's not, I'm not suggesting that we should collapse it all and bring everyone back under the CFO again. This is where I think the concept of virtual teams and really embracing those virtual teams, even right at the top. So making sure that those leadership team operate as a virtual team for those different things can sometimes help out. In my experience, that's the times where it's worked best. It's never been perfect where you've got the authorization to bring in all the expertise and your DevOps team becomes a virtual team. So people aren't working full time on this project, but as and when you need them, you've got them, you've got them there working well. Same here, the virtual teams example has worked out really well for me. Digital transformation. It feels like a lot of the time digital transformation is medicine that we must take. 
kind of feel it's more like brushing your teeth. Like you should be doing it all the time anyway. Why is it sold as this special service that we indulge in every couple of years and then write off as a failure and back away from? Maybe it's to do with technical debt. So we build up this technical debt by doing what the business tells us needs to be done. We work on that for a couple of years. And then someone comes along and says, look at all this mess you've made. We need to do a digital transformation project in Mm -hmm. order to clean up all this mess. Which is also why I think so often it fails because that mess was created to some extent on purpose because the business wanted to move fast, wanted to innovate and do things. I see that similar to refactoring in code. When I'm refactoring a piece of code, a function, an application, I don't deliver anything new to that. I don't bring any new functions. I don't bring any new features. I'm making my life easier for the future. But while I'm refactoring it, nothing's going to change. I'm just making the code better. But actually, my users may see no difference whatsoever. And I, I kind of see that with digital transformation. It's a refactoring of all that technical debt you've got to give you a foundation that's going to be great for the next couple of years. But right now, it delivers very little benefit. It could be maybe it delivers some cost efficiencies and there's some little bits here and there. But in terms of the actual... Who is your end user customer? What are they going to see that's beneficial from going through a digital transformation project? But perversely, it's also something that we're only allowed to deliver from a party external to the organization, from consultancy firm into the organization. And we're not allowed, we don't have license or authority to tackle technical debt ourselves and continuously digital transform. Because I think if you look at a lot of these large companies and the reason why they are successful is because they're not afraid to take on refactoring as time goes on because they recognize it's part of the good hygiene of IT that you will constantly improve and if there's a new piece of technology that does the job better than the old one then you review it terms and you decide what's good and what's bad and if it's a good fit then you refactor it and you use the new technology and you move on and you see it with open source projects especially those that are kept relatively evergreen that they are refreshing like this and they are evolving, whether it's a continuation of the new projects or a fork to become something more advanced and slightly different and more optimal. But when we look at our own lives in IT, a lot of the time we'd say, oh, it'd be really nice if I maybe I made this move to this different deployment model or if I change from this technology to this. I think it can be done in this time frame and it'll enable us to do this, this and this. And I've been there and taken it to senior management and been told, look, no, we can't do that. And then I've also been in the same department six months or a year later when it was highlighted that this was now an emergency. I've got quite a few opinions on this and I'm trying to work out which ones to bring up first. So first of all, the point you made about bringing in external agents, consultancy companies to do this. The times that I've been brought in as a but an independent consultant, it's always been to clean up the mess from an external consultancy company that have been brought in to do a, a transformation project. Always, without fail. My role when I've been that independent consultant is we're going to kickstart the digital transformation, but that is also wrapped up in a transition process to hand it off back to the internal teams. I would always say to people, if I do my job right, I don't have a job here anymore. In terms of why can't we do this? Why can't you just brush your teeth? It's a bit like therapy. You can read all the books and you can know what your therapist is going to say to you and do, 
but actually talking to someone and getting someone else to guide you through it is often the only way to do it. I think you need someone external to come in and not be afraid of calling your baby ugly, not be afraid of coming in there and saying, you need to throw that out. You need to get rid of that. When you're in the organization, you are too close to the problem. And you've also got a day job. I think it's Parkinson's law. You will consume the amount of time you've got allocated to something. So if I've got a day job, I don't have time to do digital transformation as well. It should absolutely be part of that brushing your teeth. And I had this struggle with my kids at the moment is in terms of why do I need to brush my teeth? Well, in 30 years time, you will thank yourself the fact that I'm forcing you to brush your teeth now. And we're saying the same thing with IT. You need to have some time to go back through and do your code checking and looking for your test harnesses and looking at the technical debt you've built up. As part of your sprint, you should allocate some time to do some technical debt recovery. Most people don't because that doesn't deliver a new feature. We're pushing people so hard on delivering features and functionality and and innovation. We don't give them the time to do it. I remember at a prior employer how we actually fought for a certain amount of each sprint to be used for technical debt. We fought a multi-month battle to get this on the project manager's roadmap. And we fought a multi-month battle with management to persuade them that they couldn't pack each sprint to 100% because there would be issues that came up with prior releases and security, with prior releases and performance, with unexpected asks that we'd need to fit in. Never mind the fact that we need to go back and you know optimize previous releases hmm. and fine-tune things. Because I think the, the modern software development world is so focused around short-term feature development that there's no room for strategy. And when you push strategy out, you end up making short-term mistakes that hurt you in the long run. So I, I challenge your statement a little bit there. I think the business is focused so much at short-term features and functionality delivery. I think if you sit down with most software folks and say, how should we do this? Everyone would say, pretty much everyone would say, number one, you don't pack a sprint 100%. You definitely don't. Maybe 60 to 70%. And in that 60 to 70% should also be some refactoring time. There should also be all this stuff to factor in to what you can and can't do. Most devs know that. Most DevOps teams know that. But it's the business that is applying this pressure that they shouldn't be applying. But the business should yeah. be allowing that. You absolutely shouldn't be your sprint 100%. And I think we're coming back to strategy again. It feels like all roads lead to strategy because what you're doing there is saying the strategy at the grassroots needs to be uh, encouraged. You've got to give people license to be strategic at the individual contributor level and not just follow the so-called strategy that filters down from higher ups, which is usually really short term because they want to get the next bonus or they want to get the promotion and then, you know, leave change to a new role whereas often the grassroots people are the people that are going to be there for multiple years and they're going to have to pick up mistakes and and fix situations that blow up over the course of their time in that department a lot of modern companies i think are, are not allowing people to come up with strategy at the the kind of the leaf nodes of the organization whether they're more junior folks or whether they're senior engineers that have not gone into management roles, they need to be able to, to strategize and say, yes, there's something I have to do right now to get you off my back and to make sure this thing works. 
But so that we are not giving ourselves any self-inflicted wounds, I need to also have a longer-term deliverable that ameliorates some of the pain that I might cause by doing this thing the quick way now. And that needs to go in and it needs to get actioned. And when it comes around time to, to do that thing, you're going to need to step back and allow me to prioritize it. You need to make sure that everyone's got a voice and everyone's heard. Everyone's listened to, I should say. I think those are really important things. So you can get some great ideas for people that aren't influenced by experience. They haven't got these preconceived ideas of what should happen. Um, and there's some fantastic ideas that you're probably not listening to today. So I think it's really important to make sure that everyone's voice is welcome and everyone's voice is heard. You want to get those difference of opinions, those different thought processes. So that probably draws us to a close for today. A lot of the topics we've been going through today are themes that you'll see us touch on throughout this series. One of the things we wanted to do as part of the post-cloud podcast is actually talk around We've had cloud for a number of years now, but what is the next generation and future of cloud? As you heard from today's discussion, is isn't just around technology, it's also around business and structural changes and all these different things. We will be inviting different guests to have you know, different opinions, getting that diversity of thought into this podcast as well. Stephen, any closing thoughts from you? So I think we've covered a lot of topics today and there's some interesting foundations that I hope we can return and build upon. We're moving from a world where cloud was new and exciting to one where cloud has been around for the entirety of some practitioners' careers. So it's an interesting time to get together a retrospective, see where it's come from. And I think we covered a lot of where it came from in this. And I'm looking forward to being able to talk about where we're going. It's remiss of me not to say like and subscribe and hit the bell button and all those things that YouTubers are supposed to say. And we look forward to having your audience and you listening to us again sometime. Take care. See you soon.